Hey folks, Tony Russo here from the So What's Your Story podcast. Before we get started today, I just want to ask you that if you haven't subscribed, if you're listening on your computer or if you're followed a link to listen to this, please go ahead and hit subscribe. That way you get updated as soon as the new shows come out. We try to put one out pretty much every week. It's been two or three weeks since we put the last one out, but we're back on schedule now. So if you could subscribe, that would be awesome. Um, other than that, enjoy the show. It just takes you a while to get into that banter and that that thought process and get into the character's head. But once it happens, things start to flow. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Diana McDonough. She just released My Mother's Apprentice, the sequel to her 2017 novel, Stuck in the Onesies. Diana's new novel follows the daughters, Ginger and Karen, who grew up as best friends but come to have very different lives as women. When Karen finds Ginger in Jamaica, she realizes that addiction and the ghosts of the past can be stronger than friendship. And today, Diana joins us to talk about it. So welcome back to the podcast, Diana. Thank you, Steph. Appreciate you having me. I'm delighted to have you here. We had you here for Stuck in the Onesies, you and did. we talked all about that. And so um, I think at the end of that podcast, we said, what are you doing next? And you said, I'm working on the sequel. And, and here we are and to, to talk are. about it. So I just wanted to kind of, um, kind of jump into My Mother's Apprentice. We, we're moving from the mothers who were best friends, who is based on your mother and her best friends. And now we're moving towards the daughters and following their lives. And what was sort of the sort of the inspiration to, to follow the daughters now? Well, when I wrote Stuck in the Onesies, I did it over a period of 10 years while I was still working for Ecolab. And I shoved it aside and decided when I retired, I would put it out there. So I did. I put it out and started marketing it. And the readers started asking for a sequel. They didn't want the story to end. So I thought, well, why not? So I put the other novel I was working on aside to work on this one. And it just came about that I had to go back. If you read Stuck in the Onesies, you'll notice that um, the second book, My Mother's Apprentice, goes back before Stuck in the Onesies ended. Because when I wrote Stuck in the Onesies, I didn't know I was going to do a sequel. So I kind of painted myself into a corner sure. with what was going on in the daughter's lives. And I had to pick up from there. So it rewinds. To before one of the characters is gone so you'll get to revisit some of the characters out of stuck in the onesies and see how things unfold from there gotcha and so i guess that sort of brings up sort of a natural question you wrote a book that you didn't intend to have a sequel and now there is a sequel how much from a writer's perspective do you go how much do i need to rehash does it need to be a standalone or do they need to absolutely be read as a as a one two you know component yeah I struggled with that and for that reason when I did my, my mother's apprentice I wrote a prologue because I felt like I needed to set the stage a little bit in case someone had not read onesies but because I, I wanted to be a standalone novel as well but it gave them a little bit of background so they knew what was going on so we just did that I did a little bit of a scene to just kind of reflect what was happening and um, how the characters interacted with each other and where the where the saying stuck in the onesies came from because if you didn't read stuck in the onesies you wouldn't know sure, so I, sure. I felt like I needed to set that stage and so I did and I picked up had to go with the truth for a good bit and uh, just took it from there they say write what you know which is a big thing for me so that's why I set 
my mother's apprentice in Jamaica. And it's not the Jamaica that you see when you go to a resort, it's the real Jamaica. So you'll see it back in the 1970s uh, during the reggae explosion when Bob Marley and Burning Spear first came to the scene. What's always troubling for me with with accidental series is, is what you were just talking about, how mm-hmm. there's this trouble about you know how much should get reverse engineered. I love the idea of a prologue, like here it is, you know, so you're up to date. Like you don't have to read the other book. Right. And this book now, once you finish the prologue, the book stands on its own. But as people go through the book, if they've already read Stuck in the Onesies, they're probably going to get more out of it than they would have if they had it. Absolutely. Uh, the characters obviously will resonate with them more because they will, they will have been with them longer. But absolutely. And then it does expand on the daughters more than the mothers, obviously, because the first book focused on the mothers. But it also shows, continues to show the evolution that started with the mothers regarding racism and all of that throughout the years and how they evolve as independent women. And also you can see, I would expect, the mothers in the daughters and the daughters in the mothers as... This second book goes on, and you, you're not confused about who, which, which daughter belongs to which mother. No, not really. No, the personalities are different enough, and they're enough like their mothers and different from their mothers, hence the name My Mother's Apprentice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the things is I've kind of gotten to know you and your work is that you do focus on women's, women's issues. You know, in the first book, you know, was the you know, kind of the beginning of the feminist movement and and their struggle with do we go towards that calling or do we not? And then, you know, um, moving into my mother's apprentice issues of abortion and addiction, you know, very quickly sort of rise to the forefront of the issues that we deal with. And I was just wondering for you, is that, you know, I mean, obviously those are, you know, abortion being a huge topic today, you know, are those things intentional or are they just sort of things that you've created these characters and this is where they've gone or is it intentional? Like, I want to make a statement as a writer about these things. You know, it's fun. It's good that you asked that because it was not intentional. It was, like I said, my, uh, Stuck in the Onesies was based on a true story. And as I started writing that, I got a couple of chapters into it and I realized I was trying to tell it, first of all, in the first person. And I realized I couldn't do that because I couldn't tell the story from a kid's perspective. So I had to start over, get into my mother's head, and write it from there. And I soon realized all the issues that were bubbling up in the surface in our nation's capital in the 60s and how the characters in there did get involved. And it it shows a lot, mostly with race, with uh, the racism issue, how diametrically opposed they both were and how they changed over the years. But the women's rights, uh, this basically just showed the evolution. And then when I got into My Mother's Apprentice, uh, the one daughter gets involved in addictions. I think Onesies even mentioned that, so I'm not spoiling anything for anybody there. But uh, so it it pulled me into that and also pulled me into the abortion issue, which was just all a part of real life. And that's what is really interesting when it comes to when you're trying to, because a lot of times I think we have this... um, idealized version of you know of of how america was in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s and then it wasn't really you know when when you when you break it open what's interesting about the abortion is i think of um in the heat of the night right and how it was just a very like motioned at kind of kind of topic in, in in those movies it wasn't something that was really you know attacked head on with any kind of with any kind of regularity 
but it doesn't mean that it wasn't there and it doesn't mean that young women weren't struggling with this problem time out of mind right and uh, my mother's apprentice deals with it a little bit like that too it talks about some natural ways that they tried to go about having abortions before things were legal didn't get into a whole lot of the nitty-gritty with it but it does allude to that and explains some of the struggles that women went through trying to set things right (laughs) yeah um when you're taking on uh, a topic like this like I'm, I'm imagining that you don't realize you're taking on a topic until, as you said, you've painted yourself into the corner. You're like, well, now I'm dealing with this. That's right. <laughs> like it or not. And so, and so how, do you, how, do you, how do you deal with what you would like to say versus what your characters want to say? I had to be careful because yeah. I, I didn't want to turn anybody off, whether they're pro-life or not. Right. Um, it just shows someone making choices over the period of years and lets the reader make a decision whether they liked it or not. And, and being an author, I was able to try and, and change a few things towards the end to try and give it a somewhat happier ending, I guess, because you don't like to leave your readers feeling like, gee, she did it again. Yeah, I know. I'm not going <laughs> to give any spoiling things here. But, uh, but yeah, I, I really struggled with how to end it. And um, eventually I just decided, you know, truth is best. If, yeah. if people can learn something, then I think I've done a better job than if I've made everybody happy. Yeah. Well, it's something we talk about here a lot is that, uh, I'm sorry, it's something I won't ever shut up about. I, I, I have this, this kind of core belief that doesn't have any proof. It's just a sense that in the idea for the book, everything's already contained. And you're constantly kind of just unpacking that. And that's how you end up knowing, well, I wanted it to do this, but it's going to do that instead. But that was already in the kernel of the idea, and it's just the way it kind of came out. Right. I had, I had to work with the box I'd painted myself in. But again, you know, being a writer, you do have a little bit of latitude with what mm. you can do and where you can take things. And that's, that's the best part about writing to me is when the characters start taking on their own life and telling me what they're going to do instead of me telling them. Yeah, yeah we talk about that a lot. And, and a lot of authors, you know, and I think to people who are not writers, they will sort of find that it's sort of head scratching that you're the author, you're the writer, you've invented these characters, just make them do what you want. But just about every author that is sat in your chair says it doesn't work like that. You you bring these characters to the page and then they're going to make decisions. They're going to go about things and they're going to be like, well, that's. I need the story to do this, but that character's clearly not going to move in, in that path. And if you do, then it feels like you have forced them off the path. Right. And oftentimes when they do make that decision, you end up having to go back and do a lot of rewrites because right. this yeah. couldn't happen and that couldn't have happened. And, and that's, that's when a good critique group comes in. Very <laughs> exactly. <handy>. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's also very much like that in real life. We find ourselves saying, well, I'd like to do this, but I'm not the kind of person who does that. So now I'm going to have to be consistent or I'm going to have to be inconsistent but being inconsistent is part of my nature I mean the characters aren't different from human beings in that very way like we crave consistency or at least explainable inconsistency but just something right out of the blue doesn't make sense to anybody even if even if a even if a person in real life does something that I think is right out of the blue built into their life that decision was already Absolutely. On the table. Absolutely. And, and I had the um, advantage of having a lot of friends down in Jamaica because I've done work down there for years and have met a lot of people. So when I was trying to figure out an event that was going to happen 
back in 1980, I'm like, oh my gosh, would this have happened? And I was talking to a friend of mine. She said, no, it would, it would have been an event like this. So I was able to, to turn things around and, and work it that way. But and another thing you talk about with the ideas where things might change and such, I know in real life when I find myself thinking, oh, what if this happens or if I'd done this different, I call it going down rabbit holes. Right. Yeah. It's okay to go down a rabbit hole if you're an author. And that's, you know, I go down, I follow my characters down the rabbit holes and trying to figure out what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned, you know, calling someone to say, hey, would this have happened in Jamaica in 1980? And they go, yeah, no, it would have been more like this. That's one of those moments where even though you're writing fiction, you still have to get it right. Right. You still have to go after the details. You still have to do the research. Those things still have to be true to life, even though you can sort of make up sort of a piece of it. You know, the fiction still has to be rooted in believable reality. Sure, sure, absolutely. And that's that's one reason I chose Jamaica, because I knew I had some resources if I had some questions. Now, did I get it all right? Probably not. Uh, a friend of mine in Jamaica that read it said something about once she got past realizing that I was writing to the American audience, she was okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's who I was basically writing to, but I'm hoping that Jamaica receives it well. Sure. Well, and, and the idea is that it just, if if a fact escapes or if or if there's a plot hole that you didn't see because you didn't understand enough culturally, but your readership is also unlikely to have, understand enough culturally to to see a plot hole or to see an inconsistency it's it's probably okay it's not it's not intentional you know slighting it's just this is how the story went right and these things may or may not have forced these other events to happen exactly yeah exactly well case in point uh, my editor caught um, a mistake of mine I had an egret eating a piece of fruit and he says egrets are carnivorous who knew? <laughs> well, I'll fix that I one. know now. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I know do. 40 seconds Don't ago. we know that? No, yeah. you learn something new every day, yeah, right? right? You but most of my readers wouldn't have known that. No. Heck, I didn't know. I wouldn't have known. Uh-uh. But, but he did, so that was good. <laughs> I think one of the other interesting choices that you made with My Mother's Apprentice is that Karen, one of the main characters, is also a writer. Right. And so I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about, you know, deciding to put a writer in, in, in the book and how that functioned right. for well, you. It, there was a little bit of autobiographical stuff in there, and that was part of it, and that I wrote while I was working the day job for years before I retired, and she does the same thing. Um, it shows the struggles. You know, you get all excited. I got an agent, I got an agent, and then nothing happens. Nothing goes anywhere. You know, it's just typical writer's life. But, um, but I think uh, it also shows her evolution, shows her marriage, shows things going well my kids are recognizing their dad and Lee a little bit so uh, that's kind of fun but it is autobiographical and I think that's why a lot of writers do authors because we can live vicariously maybe <laughs> well also if you're if you have a protagonist who's an author and you're a writer it's easier than having a protagonist who's a I don't know uh, brain surgeon brain right. surgeon <laughs> and, and then having to learn about brain I was I was thinking something more metally <laughs> Like a like a Cooper or something. Right. <laughs> well, she, she, yeah, she could have been a chemical salesman like I was, which was you know the legal kind. But uh, but she, you know I figured now nah, give her something a little sexier than that. <laughs> yeah, these are right what you know, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, as you're kind of putting this book together now, you you know that it's strictly speaking a sequel. How much did that affect your choices early on like did you feel like you had to 
live up to stuck in the onesies somehow or was this something that you were willing to kind of like well I'm going to do this and yeah it, it was hard because stuck in the onesies I, I really feel like I captured the voices of Barb and Ellie the two main characters who were real people right so when this one came along obviously I'm one of the characters but it's mostly fiction in my part and Ginger it was mostly fiction in her part trying to get into their voices as well or create her voice Ginger's no longer with me so you know it's kind of hard to capture but I had some old notes from the years where we'd get together on weekends and just laugh and somebody go write that down right. so I'd write it down you know and I haven't found all the old notes when I do it'll be another story but um but so sometimes it just takes you a while to get into that banter and that that thought process and get into the character's head but once it happens things start to flow but then you, you also uh, I'm not one that likes to write a lot of con I don't I'm not a big person that likes conflict so my tendency when I write is to skirt all around that particular scene and then get into it when I feel like okay I can drag myself down and right. make me a little down in the mouth today and deal with it so that's that's what I try to do because I like things to be happy and end up great, but they don't always in life or in books. Right. <laughs> no, I certainly, they certainly don't. So I know that you know you, you've had Mother's Apprentice out for for a while for a couple, couple of months, months now. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing to promote it? I know you've done. I mean, you just did a book signing at the Greyhound in Berlin on Mother's mm -hmm. Day, which I thought was pretty apropos. We yeah, had my Indeed. Mother's Apprentice Susan selling on, job on on Mother's Day. Yeah, mm -hmm. Susan always does a great she job. Did. But um, I know you're doing book signings and different things. Do you I want know. to talk a little bit about sure. what you're doing? Sure. Well, well, there's a lot of. Uh, bookstores on the eastern shore that have been great Greyhound in Berlin is one of them I mean that's a, a great addition to our new little town to our little town here also browse about books and Bethany Beach books have been awesome to me um, up and down the seaboard I've been uh, to a couple book signings in Florida I have winter down in Florida and Fort Myers so they're from getting familiar with my ugly face here and there <laughs> and uh, Savannah Georgia where my son lives so anywhere I happen to go I try to take my books with me and find somebody willing to let me sell them so I do that and I also love book clubs I must say I've met with many local here on the eastern shore as well as down in Florida and uh, they're a great inspiration to me they help energize me when I go I find out what they like what they didn't like and it's just a lot of fun to see how these ladies mostly ladies have a good time calling it reading a book when they're eating dinner or drinking wine but it's a good time <laughs> but they've been a great resource for me and a big support and I appreciate that and I also have um uh Ecolab that I used to work for has an advocacy group for women called E3 that I helped to found about probably 20 years ago and um I've been invited back for the second time this spring on June 11th I'll be going there they've asked me to talk about creating your own brand so that should be fun, and um, that's pretty easy when you're independent, but I'm trying to help them to figure out how to do it when you're working for a Fortune 500 company, so so that's what I'm working on right now. Um, I've also... I, I'm sorry, I, I just want to stop you there and, and ask a little bit about okay. that. So um, what what do you expect that you'll talk about? Like, the last time that you were on, I thought that the notion of just bringing your books with you on vacation was the most brilliant thing I'd heard of it like it's one of those things where you hear it and you're like yeah obviously right <laughs> but, but you didn't think of it a second before so when you're talking to people about building their own brand like what are the kind of things that you're going to talk about 
Well, like I said, with talking to them, working for a Fortune 500 company, you're kind of painted into a certain, put in a certain box that you have to work within. My biggest thing is in business and as an author is integrity and um, trying to live my life with that and building my brand around that. And that's what I plan to talk to them about because it is tough when you got to wear the dark suits and, you know, get in line. And it's a male-dominated company as well. So um, hopefully we've blazed some trails for those ladies. But, uh, but, yeah, creating a brand can be anything from your hair color to a sign to a picture to, you know, a saying, you know, all KFC and Kellogg's and all of them, they all have their brand, but we want our brand to stand out, and it's tough when you're... It's interesting because we were talking about how um, how characters have to be consistent, and I, I expect the brand has to be consistent in that mm -hmm. very same way. Like, mm -hmm. you have to know what you can expect each time. Right. Well, and that's funny you mentioned that because my the third book that I'm working on now, I was actually working on before I started My Mother's Apprentice, so I shoved it aside when they wanted the sequel. And uh, it was already called Ginger Star, and Ginger Star is a big part of My Mother's Apprentice. It's a plantation. And um, it will be a different type of book from what my readers are used to with the first two because it's based back in the 1800s of Jamaica and talks about a little bit about piracy. And I'm, right now I'm trying to figure out how to tie Savannah, Georgia in with Jamaica, so <laughs> that's where I'm at with that. So it'll be a, a lot different, because a lot of it'll be, most of it'll be based in Jamaica, so it'll be a lot more descriptive, a little more literary than the others were, because you talked about before fact-checking, that's gonna be uh, for a real big thing. part of it with this next one. And I'm, I interrupted your, um, your, your promotional schedule. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, to pat myself on the back, I learned this from being in sales for years, the Florida Authors and Publishers Association has named My Mother's Apprentice as finalist in the 2019 Presidential Book Awards, so I'm real excited about that. Well, holy smokes, yeah, that's, that's really cool. awesome. Yeah, I find out in August how it placed. At this point, I placed, so I'm happy with that. That's uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Place, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, that, that's a huge, you know, thing to, to, I mean, that's a huge jumping point for a book um, to, you know, say, award-winning novel by award-winning author, that's you know. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Huh? So I'm counting on Well, congratulations. So, yeah, that's really you. cool. Yeah, I was real excited when I got that email. Get some foil stickers to uh -huh. put on your... Uh, <laughs> oh, heck yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I know, I know Diana. She's going to have them everywhere. <laughs> you bet. That's true. I sure will. I can. Yeah, also, one other thing I wanted to mention, there's a, I, I'm part of a, um, did I mention Woman to Woman Global? No. You did not. Okay. There's a nonprofit I'm involved with called Woman to Woman Global. You can look it up online. Um, we help raise money for scholarships and laptops for women, for single moms that have a couple kids at home and want to get an education, and they can do it in their living room with a laptop, that type of thing. And we've, we've scholarshiped many people in Jamaica for I We didn't hear college. any of that. Oh, put this I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Which part? Uh, uh, we'll start just at just start with women. women to Women. Okay. Yeah. I also wanted to mention that I'm part of a group called Woman to Woman Global. It's a nonprofit. You can look it up online, but um, we help to raise money for laptops and scholarships for women, whether it be a single mom trying to get an education in her living room with a laptop or a graduating high school senior going out and needing a new computer. So we try to help with that. We've also scholarshiped and uh, helped many people in Jamaica with the same thing, hoping to make a difference there as well as here. And what was what was the impetus for that? Were you a part of the founding of that? Or? I, I was. Um, actually, the um, 
E3, the Ecolab group, was a little bit of an impetus. They sent me one time on a, um, to a nationwide conference, and I learned the value of networking, women networking. And I find that women as a gender are not nearly as good at it as men are. And one day there will be a book on that. Yeah. I won't tip my <laughs> hand there. But, uh, but I discovered that, and I discovered how it helped me by reaching out. Because, you know, authors, we tend to like to lock ourselves in a room and not talk to anybody. We'll shoot off an email rather than pick up the phone. And I'm guilty of that. I was guilty of that in business, you know. But I quickly learned that I needed to change that. So I did. I worked on it anyway. But uh, so that, that is what really was the push. When I saw that and I realized how... In this huge company I was working in, women didn't help each other, and uh, we we tend not to do it as well on the outside too. So I want to try to help change that with the Me Too movement. I think it's right on time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, speaking of, I guess, I guess the next book you're working on, how long are you going to like? Have you have you have you started it yet? Or are you going to let this kind of simmer first and then get back to work? Or what's your schedule like? I have started it. I had several chapters done uh, when I changed gears and wrote Apprentice. But um, so I shoved them aside. I just, and that's my MO. When I get into a certain point, I'll print it all out and then I start editing it myself mm-hmm. by, on paper. And that's what I'm in the middle of doing right now. But again, I think I'm going to change some things. And coming out of Britain and going to Jamaica, I may change it to Savannah because I have a home base there and I can do <laughs> a lot of research. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. I was just trying to orchestrate those type of changes and get that rolling. Because at this point with the marketing, you do so much and you're like, okay, what else can I do? It's time to do what I really want to do when I retire, which is right. So I want to get yeah. back to that. Yeah, I, I, I find that happens a lot with me. People, I'm like, yeah, here's here's a link to my book, but I'm not I'm not selling these books anymore. <laughs> I got other things that I'm doing. I know, I know. It's it's crazy. It's it, it's like your head's just spinning all the time. What should I do? You sit down at your computer, and the next thing you know, three hours later, all you've done are emails and yeah. marketing. And and that's the that's the that's the weird balance, right? And it's really a 21st century phenomenon where uh, we as writers are expected to do both in a way that we weren't 15 years ago. You right, know, that's right. Twenty years ago, we were. It used to be, you know, you 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 find a publisher, you do what they tell you, and they try and sell your book. And now, finding a publisher is <laughs> secondary. Yeah. You know, you 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 may or may not find a publisher. That doesn't matter at all. What matters is how um, how you're going to get the book into people's hands once it's done. And the minute you finish the book, instead of getting right to work on the next one, you have to have this six month eight month period where you're like hey when you buy my book hey you should read this book you know and then going back into forth it's like a weird cycle it is Uh, and one thing i did not do with stuck in the onesies that i did with apprentice was i had a launch team set up of people that volunteered to push out my facebook ads and and that type of thing social media and I also had a critique group, Frank Hopkins and Carrie Horner are part of, and they did a great job helping me chapter by chapter. What I, when, during the writing process, we monthly turned in a chapter to each other. So it really kept me pushing myself, and, and they gave me great feedback and edits and uh, really helped out when I went through the editing process finally. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a constant juggling act. And yeah, it really is sort of like, you know, you're talking about being a brand. I really feel like that's kind of where writers head today is, you know, like you said, we 
once upon a time you wrote, you did a book and it went out, but now, you know, you've got to be social media and you've got to make sure like everything matches and you have to be sort of this marketing powerhouse in addition to being the creative part. And I think sometimes that's the part that a lot of authors will struggle with is, you know, how to do the marketing piece and, and you know that. So I feel like your background um, probably helps you tremendously. It did help in that I know that you just keep throwing macaroni up on the wall and sooner or later something will stick. Yeah. You know, and I get to those points some days where I'm like, oh, I've spent this money, I've spent all this time, and I've only real did this. And I keep telling myself, I go back to my old Ecolab mantra, you know, you just keep making the call to keep looking for the window of opportunity and, and the good things will happen. Yeah, it's weird only because, uh, my, so for instance, my first book sold more in the first three months than my second book has sold at all (laughs) because the first time i'm like i'm excited i have a book blah 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 and the second time i'm like yeah it's a book get it if you want don't (laughs) get it i don't care (laughs) i've got other things to do and that's the truth i know it's an easy place to get stuck yeah definitely is i know it's hard all right, Stephanie. Well, now it's part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Diana, thank you so much for thank coming you. back on the podcast and talking with us about My Mother's Apprentice. Thank you, guys. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.